So I'll be reading uh, Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not despise the chastising of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Thank you, Amy, for that. Uh, Proverbs is a, is a great book. If you haven't read through the book of Proverbs and you're looking for just what God has uh, in store for you and, and his plan for you, well, I, I would say read the book because it has so much instruction on how we ought to live in order to honor our God who has created us. So, um, love that, that uh, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And how many of us can really say that? I trust the Lord with all my heart. I mean, like maybe a fraction or maybe we'll do a percentage or something like that, but all of it. And lean not on your own understanding. That's the real test, right? Where we don't lean on our own understanding. We just lean on what God has to say. Um, so love it. And, and hopefully you, you have an opportunity. If you haven't read through Proverbs, I encourage you to do that. But we're not in Proverbs. We're going to be in Philippi, uh, or, excuse me, Philippians. But we're going to, our, our sermon series is a summer in Philippi. Because the, the letter of Philippians is written to a city in Philippi. And it's a letter from Paul, which we're going to read about, uh, writing to uh, this, this church that he helped start. And so the reason we're going through it, and I'll just give you a quick introduction before we jump right into the text, is as we were kind of just evaluating where we are as a church, and we've had now you know, almost three years of history together, uh, we really started to come to a point where you know, we thought, you know what we need this summer? We need some rest. I know that sounds strange. I mean, here we are, we're, we're a church plant, we feel like we're going, and we've got a lot of things going, and, and we're moving forward, and there's obviously a lot of activities going forward, forward but we need to rest at times. And so one of the things that I think we find in this book is, is a lot of joy, peace, patience, those types of things where we can just kind of sit at the feet of Jesus Soak in what his word has to say and hopefully be encouraged by it. So when we hit September, we're ready to go again, right? Well, we're actually going to go all the way through the summer. But uh, we hope to find rest as we go through this book together. And really, we need, we need individual rest. We need to rest as a church. And so I hope that, that you will be encouraged as we go through the book of Philippians together and find some, some ways to rest. So that's what we'll be doing as we go through this book I'm excited about it. I already enjoy just the, the introduction and looking at the whole book together. So that's what we're going to do. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, it is your word that pierces our heart. 
And it's your Holy Spirit that helps us understand what you have to teach us. We are stubborn people. We have hard hearts. God, we need to be pierced with a double-edged sword. So we ask that you will do that today to teach us. That we would draw near to you. That we will sit at your feet. And you will communicate clearly your word, your instruction, your encouragement, the peace that comes from your word, the joy that comes from salvation, and grace and mercy that you have shown abundantly to us. We give you all the praise and glory today. We worship you. And we try to set ourselves aside as much as we can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 starts off, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi including the overseers and deacons. A couple things we see right off the bat here. We, we have mentioned Paul and Timothy. Now, as you move forward, you're going to see the word I a lot, and Paul referring to himself. Mainly it's written by Paul, but he gives some credit to Timothy here, as though Timothy has, has helped him in writing this letter. But Paul and Timothy are servants. They're not people who are standing up in front saying, hey, you guys are here to serve me. Instead, they're coming to the church and saying, we are here to serve you. In fact, that's the style of leadership you find all throughout Scripture, right? That's the style we see in Jesus. Jesus came to serve. And that's what he calls us to do. If we are wanting to go into leadership, if we are wanting to, to go ahead and minister and, and go out and spread the gospel to other people and, and lead people to Christ, we have to become first a servant to those people that we are going to present the gospel to. So he presents himself in that way, a servant of Christ Jesus, then to all the saints, right? And in our day and age, I know when we say saints, sometimes we think of the Catholic saints and and those that have come before us who have lived this outstanding life for God. But that's not what this is talking about. A saint is anybody who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We are all saints if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. So basically what he's saying is we are writing to all believers... All people who have faced, uh, placed their faith in Jesus Christ who are in this town called Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, which gives us an indication that there is an organized church there, a self-governing church already in place in Philippi that already has overseers and deacons in place. And those overseers and deacons, they can't just kind of cut themselves out of Paul's letter and say, hey, all you guys, this is for you, but not for us. No, Paul says, you guys need to listen to this as well. This letter is written for all the people who are in Philippi. Now, in case you don't know where Philippi is, which many of you, I'm sure, wouldn't because probably haven't visited it. But if you uh, were to see on a map, you can see where Macedonia is. And, and, and I know you can kind of have to zoom out a little bit to get a full perspective of this. But most of you probably know where Italy is. And you can see the boot there. It's how people you know, kind of know where Italy is. So now you have the, the Mediterranean Sea. And, and we have... Uh, cities here that you might recognize, like Corinth, which is where Corinthians is, is written to, Ephesus, Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonians was written to Thessalonica. And so you have these, these areas that are mentioned. Well, Philippi is up north. And if you wanted to go from maybe Corinth to Ephesus, and you had the money, you'd go down, pay the fare, hop on a ship or a boat, and go across. But if you didn't, then you might take the road that travels up around the Aegean Sea, 
and through places like Thessalonica and Philippi. Philippi is on that main road, and not only is it on the main road that goes from Corinth up and around Ephesus, but it also be on the main road that comes from the north and drops down through Philippi and around to Ephesus. And so this is a, really a strategic city. You have a lot of people coming and going through this city. The city itself was named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip, and became a, really an instrumental city in, in both uh, Rome and Greece. And so here it sits, and it's an affluent city, it appears to be. I mean, there's, uh, as you can kind of see, even today, if you were to visit, you would see the ruins of the city, and you could see where it had um, a, a theater, uh, and you could see where it has, you know, city blocks, and it was well organized, and a, and a street that cuts through it. Um, the amphitheater is probably one of the coolest things there today. You can still go there and see the, the main structure and how it was laid out. Of course, it doesn't have the upper portion of it. That's crumbled and fallen since then. But the part that's in the ground is still there. You can walk through it. You can see where the chambers are, where they kept animals and uh, soldiers or even slaves and others who would be in there. Uh, so it's, it's really a, a fascinating city even today to go and visit. There's other things there like some of the architecture. Uh, you can see the, the way the Romans built the arch and how they you know, fashioned each one of those bricks to lay at, a, at an angle and, and form the arch. You can see some of the columns that are there today. You can go to a museum and see uh, things that have been well kept like this, which possibly rested on top of a column or uh, maybe an altar or something like that. It's not sure. I wasn't sure what, what exactly uh, this one is used for, but, but one of those things. Um, Here's an, a picture that I think is interesting. If you were to, to try to maybe uh, draw what it would have looked like just from the archaeological site and the digs, this is potentially what it looked like in the day of Paul. And you'll notice it's got kind of an angle. You can see a road that, that cuts in from one side, and then there's a bit of an angle that goes to the town, and then it cuts back out. And on both sides, there have been gates on the city walls. And then there's a, a river that runs by it. And that's important to remember because that river is mentioned in the book of Acts. So here's the, the city and who Paul was writing to. Again, probably an affluent place. It was one that Paul refers back to and says, I know the church in Philippi has given some money for other churches that were struggling. And, and it, was, it was a place that quite possibly you would want to go when you wanted to rest. It was a town that, that it appears had a very strong church of believers who loved each other, cared for not only each other, but cared for the church abroad and were kind to others. So as Paul continues in his salutation or his introduction, he, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul typically starts with those two words, grace and peace. Why? Why grace? Well, it's the thing that, that brings us salvation, right? It's the characteristic, the attribute of God that brings us salvation. If God was not gracious, Christ would not have died upon the cross. If God was not gracious, he wouldn't have preserved his word so that you and I have it today. If God was not gracious, you wouldn't be here today. You probably would already be destroyed for the sins that you've committed. Maybe you had never been born because of the ones committed up to that point. But it's because God is gracious, because God demonstrates that grace by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and bear our sins on the cross, 
Paul always points us back to that in his letters. Grace to you. And not only that, but peace. Because your position before God the Father is one who, where you're not at war. So grace and peace to you. You get to stand before God the Father. Hebrews 10 tells us that we have confidence to come into the most holy place, to stand before God the Father because of the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. We are at peace with Him. So grace and peace to you, Paul says. And then he goes to verse 3. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, if you want to read about the story of, of Philippi and how they became followers of Christ, you go back to the book of Acts. You can read about it in chapter 16, verses 12 through 40. And I'm just going to summarize kind of the, that story for you. But Paul goes to, to Philippi as he's going around to the different cities. And he enters in that city. And typically he would go to a synagogue, which is where the Jews met. Now, apparently there wasn't a synagogue there because Paul didn't go to the synagogue. On the day of Sabbath, he walked outside the city gate and went to the river where it says the people who feared God worshipped and prayed together. And it was there that Paul found a group of ladies, a group of women who were worshiping and praying to God. And so he goes to them. He begins to explain the gospel to them. And a woman named Lydia places her faith in Christ. And then Lydia says, hey, Paul, I've she seems to be wealthy. She says, Paul, I've got this home. How about you? Go ahead and, and bring everybody over to my house, and we'll continue to worship there, and, and we'll learn about this Jesus. And so they started having their, their Bible studies, so to speak, and go back to the Old Testament and look at what the Old Testament had to say about Christ. Well, then Paul and Silas were going out into the city streets, and as they were going out into the city streets, there was this young girl who was following behind them, and it says that she was demon-possessed. And as she was following behind, she kept saying, these men are from God. And eventually, after a couple days of this, Paul was so annoyed that he turned to the girl and cast the demon out of her. There's a bit of a problem with that. The girl could prophesy and could tell people's future. And so uh, mom and dad found out about that and were actually using this young girl to make money. And then when the demon was cast out of her, all of a sudden they couldn't make money anymore. And so they started to go to the city, and they, they created a riot. So they started to get people to come around and say, hey, we need to get rid of these guys. And so eventually a whole riot comes after, after Paul and Silas, and they put him in prison, and they beat him, beat both of them, and they were in chains, sitting in prison. And then that night the earth shook, and their chains broke, and this jail cell opened up. And you would think, oh, there's freedom, but they decided to stay there, because the jailer was asleep. And when the jailer woke up, he got up and he realized, man, all the, all the jail cells are open. And, and he thinks to himself, the prisoners have escaped. And he goes to kill himself because he figures he's going to get killed anyhow for letting all the prisoners escape. And Paul pipes up and says, hey, we're still here. And that gave him the opportunity to present the gospel to the jailer. Because of that, the jailer becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ. And then they go to the family and the whole family becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, that morning, Paul and Silas were released, and they were able to go back to the church, and they were able to be cared for because they had been beaten, and they were probably in pretty bad shape. They were cared for by the church. They were cared for by that jailer. They were cared for by Lydia and possibly anybody else who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so Philippians 1, 5, when he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I think that's what Paul's thinking about. That story, Lydia and the jailer and the young girl whose demon was cast out and all of that that happened, you guys have been partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ in Philippi and beyond because we know the church in Philippi blessed so many other churches as well. And it's because of that that one of the most well-loved verses was written. Verse 6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who started or he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Many people love that verse. It becomes their life verse. Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this. And different translations have a different way. That he who began a good work in you will complete it. Philippi had an incredible story of how God began to do work in that church. Now, as I look out today, I know there's so many different stories, so many different people, different backgrounds, different ways you came to faith in Jesus Christ. I can guarantee you this, that the principle that, that Christ or that Paul uses here for the church in Philippi is relevant to you as well. That your story is unique. You are unique. And whatever God did to bring you to the point of faith where you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he began to work in you and he has not completed it yet. He has a plan and a purpose for each one of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we can be confident of that, that he who began to work in each of us, he who began to work in involved church almost three years ago, yeah, the church as a whole, but also individually for each one of us, he has a plan and a purpose for that. And he wants to see it go all the way through. You see, some of the things we see in this passage is Paul starts off, he's thankful for God because God arranged this relationship with Philippi. He prays for this relationship because he knows God maintains those relationships. As the church went forward in the the early uh, days and even today, you know that there is, is a spiritual warfare out there, right? You guys know we're in a spiritual war. And the more we follow Christ... And the better and the more we do for him, guess what? The more we're going to have against us. And we have to pray. One of the things that Satan wants to do is destroy the church, whether that's involved church or the universal church, all the churches together. He would love to destroy it. And one of the ways to destroy it is to create disunity amongst believers. So Paul prays, right, for that unity, prays that people would, would come together so that, that the work of God would be completed in that church. And he's confident of the future, that God's work is never done. God arranges relationships, he helps maintain relationships, and he's never done with relationships. I think those are some of the things you see as Paul gives thanks for the church there. Well, as we move on, Verse 7, it says, And indeed it is right for me to think this way about all of you who are in Philippi, because I have you in my heart. You know, we have this, this history, this story that we can go back to about what God was doing there. It was incredible. I have you all in my heart. I've seen how you've been working. I see how you've been ministering there in Philippi and, and abroad. And, and so he's excited about the church there. He says, You are all partners with me in grace. Both in my imprisonment. And Paul, when he wrote this, was in prison, not in Philippi, but he was in prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you 
Yeah, if you're in prison, you're going to be missing people, right? So, of course, you can kind of relate to that. But, but he misses his church in Philippi, a place where he would go to find great comfort with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, verse 9, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in every knowledge and every kind of discernment. I want to camp on verses 9, 10, and 11 for a little bit because I think this is where we get some good application in how we can proceed in the rest of this letter. Paul says a prayer for the church in Philippi. And oftentimes when we pray for each other, we typically pray for very specific things, maybe their health things, or, or maybe, uh, you know, recently, uh, just this last week, our family got back from Honduras. Before that, the church was praying that we would have a safe trip there and a safe trip back. And, and so those things, you know, we will pray for. Uh, we'll pray for, for health issues. Somebody says, hey, this is going on, or I lost my job, please pray for a new job, or, you know, things like that. But do we stop and pray for spiritual growth. And I want to challenge you today to consider this. If you don't pray for people to grow spiritually, start praying now. That as a church, we would be growing in our love, knowledge, and discernment. Now, when Paul talks about our love growing in knowledge... I think a good way for us to understand it is to to jump forward a couple chapters into chapter 3. And we will definitely uh, talk through this later as we continue to move through the book, but we'll just kind of take a snapshot here as we go into Philippians 3, verse 10, where he says this, My goal is to know Him, okay, to know Christ, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. He wants to know Christ. And you can go to, to Philippians 2, 1 through 11, an incredible passage that talks about Christ's humility and how he comes to this earth to offer himself as one who would die on the cross. He, he, he is God himself. But he submits himself to death, to die for our sins. I want to know that. That's what Paul says. I want to know that kind of Christ. I want to know that kind of love that would so move the God of the universe to die for his creation. We can't even begin to comprehend it. At least I can't. Think about that. The God of the universe to die for his creation. What kind of love must that be? I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection, that power that was so mighty that when Jesus Christ laid completely lifeless in the grave, all of a sudden the power came upon him and it brought him to life. Again, a power that we really can't comprehend, but a power that we do know because it's a power that carries over into our lives. For we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. And it's the power of the resurrection that brings us to life. Without that power of resurrection, you and I would not be able to get rid of the old self and bring the new life into to play. But it's that power of resurrection that gives us our new creation, our new life, where the old is gone and the new has come. It's the power of the resurrection that is able to bring us into a right relationship with God the Father. And that's the power we live in. If we've submitted to Christ and we've trusted that he's died on the cross for our sins. 
and risen from the dead. So Paul says, I want to know that power. And that power is what fuels him, I think, to go from city to city, to get beat, to sit in jail, and yet come back out and continue to go out and spread the gospel because he knows and he sees that power of resurrection where it has actually taken somebody who is dead in their trespasses and sin and has brought them to life. And if you haven't ever experienced that, if you've never placed your faith in Christ and you're like, man, I'm still caught in, in sin and I don't understand what, what sin is and, and I don't understand how to overcome sin and, and it's, it's entrapped me, then you need to, to trust Christ and come to him. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, well, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to share with you more scripture and what it has to say. Because you can walk in newness of life. Just kind of like that video we started with, all those things, anxiety, sin, fear, those things that pop up into our lives and we feel like they control us, those can be put behind us because we are now following Christ. The power of the resurrection. But then he moves on. He says, it's not only that, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. Well, Paul, come on, let's skip over that part, right? But he says, no, Christ laid down his life for the church. He suffered for the church. And you and I, if we want to see the gospel continue to move forward, guess what? The church is still going to suffer and struggle. Paul knew the fellowship of his suffering. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been put in prison. Paul had been stoned. People thought he was dead. He was left for dead. Maybe he was. (laughs) I mean, if you think the guy's dead, he's probably dead after he's been stoned. But, But God... Gave him the strength to live through that. Paul died more than once. I mean, at least to that point of death. And yet he still pursued people for Christ. He knew the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed to his death. Assuming, this is Paul speaking, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And he goes on talking about that he hasn't reached perfection, but he will one day when he goes and sees Christ face to face. Paul assumes that he will. He has confidence that he will see Christ face to face, that he will spend eternity with Christ. But while he's living this life on the earth, he's pursuing Christ with all that he has. So that's what he speaks about when he says, I want to know the love. I want to grow in my knowledge, excuse me, of Christ. So as we go back to Philippians 1.9, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and then every kind of discernment. The idea of discernment is that when you look into that, that, that life and it's, it's kind of foggy and it's, it's hazy, that somehow you can look through it and clearly see God's plan. That's this idea that he's talking about here, that we would grow and be able to to clearly see what God wants to happen and what God is accomplishing. Philippians 1, 27 through 30, I think, gives us several steps to help us practice discernment. And so I want to read through those. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. If you want to practice discernment, one thing we need to remember is that we are citizens of heaven and not this earth. That's one of the, the best ways to cut through the fog. 
Because I think sometimes things get unclear because we feel like we have to do everything that the world wants us to do, but that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to live for Him and Him alone. And our citizenship is in heaven, and that's what we need to be concerned with. If we're concerned about this earth and the things about this earth, we're going to get things all messed up. But if we're concerned about Christ and what Christ wants, we can see through the fog. So he says, we're citizens of heaven. We need to live our lives worthy of the gospel. That needs to be our focus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're out there pursuing Christ and we're out there helping other people pursue Christ as well. Live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then be unified with the church, with each other. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit together. Man, it's so, so easy to get messed up. When we start thinking about what I want, what we want, we start thinking about this world. That's when we get confused. So we need to stay focused on the gospel. We need to stay focused on the fact that our our citizenship is in heaven. We need to be united. And then he says, again, we need to be open to suffering. Not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Now, maybe at this point you're sitting there going, Ryan, you said we were going through Philippians because it was going to be a book of rest and joy peace. And here you are talking about suffering. What's amazing as you look at Paul and you look at the book, Paul was writing from prison. Paul had been beaten. He had been stoned. He had been rejected by people. And yet he had joy. Wouldn't you like to get to a place in your life where regardless of the circumstance you could just have joy. I would. And if Paul figured it out, and Paul's writing these letters, then maybe he has some advice that helps us get to a point that regardless of the circumstances that are going on around us, regardless of what's happening in the world, regardless of what's happening in our family, our personal family, our personal life, our work life, our marriage, whatever is going on, that we could still have peace and joy with God. That's a place I want to get to. And I think Paul has some good advice through this letter on how to get there. So he says in verses 10 through 11, I want you to to grow. I want your love to grow in knowledge and discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior or best. Living out your discernment, you're able to practice wisdom and to know what's right and what's wrong. We read Proverbs earlier today. Here's some right and some wrongs. Listen to our Father's instruction. Listen to those who have gone before us. Here's what to do in these situations. I mean, this is right and wrong. We need to practice it. We need to practice that discernment, practice that wisdom. We need to test and see what God is doing and then agree with it and follow what He's doing. So you may approve the things that are superior and then be pure and blameless. And the idea of pure here, if you look at it, it's, it's like you're revealing things. It's, it's a light that's shining into darkness. 
You're so pure that you're able to see clearly what needs to be seen. And people around you can see that as well. Your testimony is bright. And they're like, wow, that person is exercising discernment that is from God. They're exercising wisdom that is from God. It's clear. Because they're living a life where they're, they're, they're following Him. And then he says to be blameless. And the idea of blameless is that you will not be offending God with how you live. You put the two together, pure and blameless, and you got the life of Christ. Going out and living in truth and grace. He's shining his light for the world to see. And he's blameless. He's not offending God in any way. That's what we're trying to accomplish in this life as we follow him. And you put these two words together and we become more and more like Christ. If we practice these things, if we practice growing in our knowledge, growing in our discernments, we become more like Christ. Now, verse 11, he says, as we close here, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. If we pursue Christ and we're growing in our knowledge and discernment, we will be able to have purity, blamelessness, those types of characteristics that are growing. And as they grow, we will be filled now with the fruit of righteousness. Now, there's something to take note of here. He does not say that we're filled with righteousness. And this is something that's important for you to understand, especially if you haven't placed your faith in Christ yet. This is really important for you to understand. He's not talking here about salvation. Because salvation has already taken place to the church in Philippi. And when you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are already declared righteous, justified. You've already been filled with righteousness, but you may not be filled with the fruit of righteousness. You got that? So in judgment, when you stand before God the Father and you're filled with righteousness, He'll look and say, okay, you're declared righteous because of the work of my Son and what Jesus Christ has done for you. But this person over here, like Paul, an incredible testimony, he can say, well, this person is really filled with the fruit of righteousness because he's pursuing Christ, he's following Christ, and you can see it clearly in his life. And that's the kind of life we want to have, right? That's the kind of life we want to have, right? Okay, kind of getting there. It should be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Not filled with the fruit of this world. Not filled with the fruit of my wants and my own desires. But filled with the fruit of righteousness. You can go to Galatians chapter 5 and it talks about the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. And those things are obvious like sexual immorality, impurity, envy, uh, slander, hatred, anger, jealousy, all those kind of things that are in our flesh and they kind of, they crop up and, man, if that's the kind of fruit we have, then we're not following God, we're following ourselves. But then he says the fruit of righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all those things are from the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of righteousness needs to be demonstrated and exercised so that people around us can see that God is working in our lives. You look at this passage, Paul's praying for the people in Philippi to to grow in their knowledge and discernment so that that they can 
be a witness and a testimony. Honoring God with their lives and shining a light into the world. And so as I look at a passage like this, I'm challenged to ask myself this question. What kind of fruit am I growing? What kind of fruit am I growing? I know this, that if, if I make it my pursuit to gain worldly wealth or possessions, that when those things don't come into play, when I don't have those things, that I can become anxious, worried, angry, start to demonstrate a, a characteristic that says, God, it's not fair that I don't get what I want. When I place my eyes and my, my hopes and my dreams on this world, I have a fruit that's pretty rotten. But when my heart is focused on Christ, my heart is focused on what God wants. I'm moved to come humbly before his throne and say, God, I need help. Teach me grace. Teach me mercy. Teach me compassion because I want to demonstrate that to the rest of the world. And God breaks and humbles us at times just so we can have that kind of fruit. So I'm left with that question for myself, and I hope you're left with that question too. What kind of fruit are you growing? Is it the kind of fruit that brings honor to the one that created you? The other thing I'm left with is what kind of prayer am I praying? What kind of prayer am I praying for you as a church and for myself? When we left to go to Honduras, we had several people, good intentions, and I don't think it was wrong for them to pray for our safety. But you know what was more important? To pray for our growth. Sometimes things happen that cause us to grow that are uncomfortable and may not look like safety. But it's more important that we grow and be safe. And we need to be praying for growth to happen in our own lives, in our church. And that can be uncomfortable, but it's necessary to be more like Christ. So how are you praying for your own life, and how are you praying for the people around you? And what kind of fruit are you yielding? Father, as we think about this passage, and we think about this this book in Philippi, this letter to Philippi, we want to be growing in our joy of you. And God, I'm just challenged over and over again as I look at this, this book. Paul knew how to have joy in you in difficult circumstances. Father, help us to know how to have joy in, in far less worse circumstances than we have than Paul. Help us to pursue you first and foremost. To know the power of the resurrection. 
that we have a new life, and that new life is to be focused on you, that we have a citizenship in heaven, and that's what we're to be focused on, that we're to be living our lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not for ourselves. May we practice discernment, and may our knowledge of you grow so that we become more and more like you, humbling ourselves to the point of death, if need be. Oh, those words are difficult to say. But it's the example you gave us. And we are called to be disciples, followers of you, willing to give up ourselves for the sake of the gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.